This program is made possible by BibleWayMedia.org, overseen by the Uloga Church of Christ in Uloga, Oklahoma. You're listening to Opening the Scriptures with Don Boyd. Welcome to our program today. This is Don Boyd with the Moody Church of Christ. I want to welcome you to Opening the Scriptures. Today we're going to conclude our lessons in the books of Thessalonians as we study 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. The third chapter of or, yeah, the third chapter of 2 Thessalonians can be divided into three sections. The first section is prayer and commendation. The second section is withdrawal of fellowship, and the third section is closing words. So let's begin looking here at the first section that is 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 verses 1 through 5. And that is request for prayers and then commendation. Paul's first request is found in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 1. 2 Thessalonians 3, 1. Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified even as it is with you. The word finally there is a transition word used to introduce new points here. Paul frequently asked for the prayers of the different congregations that he had written epistles to. Uh, some examples are Romans chapter 15, verse 30. Romans 15, 30. Now I beseech you, brethren, for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake and for the love of the Spirit, that you strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. Another example is 2 Corinthians 1, 11. 2 Corinthians 1, 11. He also helping, also helping together by prayer for us that for the gift bestowed upon us by the means of many persons, thanks may be given by many on our behalf. And then another example is Colossians 4.3. Colossians 4.3. With all praying also for us that God would open to us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in bonds. So there were several different congregations there that Paul had requested prayers for or from. And we are to remember others when we pray. 1 Timothy 2, 1 and 2 gives an example of that. 1 Timothy 2, 1 and 2. I exhort therefore that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men for kings and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. So Paul's request here of the Thessalonians was that the word of God would have free course. Brother Mike Vestal in the 1988 Dent Lecture Book, and this is on page 274, made this statement, and I quote, There is a direct correlation between faithful brethren praying and the word running and being glorified, unquote. D. Edmund Hybert, in his work, The Thessalonian Epistles, A Call to Readiness, on page 330, made this statement, and I quote him. Run and be glorified seem to picture the word almost as an independent force sweeping victoriously through the land. Both verbs are in the present tense. They are not asking for a single striking triumph, but it's continual progress. 
that it may be running and gaining glory, unquote. Now there in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 1, I want to look at the Greek interlinear, the way that uh, it, uh, Gene, uh, Ricker Berry translated it. It says, For the rest pray, brethren, for us, that the word of the Lord may run and may be glorified even as also with you. All right, now the phrase may run there, the two words are translated from one Greek word, treko, and their second definition's rather long, but I wanted to read that. It says, metaphorically of doctrine rapidly propagated by a metaphor taken from runners running in a race to exert oneself, strive hard, to spend one's strength in performing or attaining something. The word occurs in Greek writings denoting to incur extreme peril, which it requires the exertion of all one's effort to overcome. In Psalm 147, verse 15, Psalm 147, 15, He sendeth forth his commandment upon the earth, his word runneth very swiftly. So God's word running swiftly through the earth. If the word of the Lord is to run, it will be because brethren actively teach the gospel to others. Again, quoting Brother Mike Vestal from the Dent Lectures book, and this is page 275, quote, a stagnant church cannot effectively cause the word to run, unquote. Well, the Thessalonians allowed the gospel to run in their lives and to be glorified. And we are to glorify the word of God because it is the means by which we know how to have salvation. Matthew 5, 13 to 16. Matthew 5, 13 to 16 says, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt hath lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and be trodden under foot of men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick. And it giveth light unto all that are in the house. So we need to let our light shine so God's and God and his word can be glorified. In James 1.21, James 1.21 says, Wherefore lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness, and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. It's God's word we have to obey in order to have salvation. Joseph S. Excel in the work Biblical Illustrator makes this point, and I quote, Hence he speaks of the word of the Lord running as a racer without impediment, or as a chariot without a drag on the wheel and being honored and applauded at the end of the course, unquote. And that comes from uh, Esort on that quotation. Now, Paul's second request is found in 2 Thessalonians 3.2. 2 Thessalonians 3.2. And that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, for all men have not faith. So Paul's first request was for uninhibited progress of the gospel. His second request was for the safety of the messengers of the gospel. 
uh, Paul may have the persecuting Jews in mind because of their opposition to him in Thessalonica, in Berea, and in Corinth, where he was writing the Second Thessalonian letter from. Back in Acts chapter 17, verse 5, it says there, But the Jews which believed not, moved with envy, took unto them certain lewd fellows of the baser sort, and gathered a company, and set all the city on an uproar, and assaulted the house of Jason, and brought assault to bring them out to the people. All right, now these, so this is in Thessalonica. And then later on down in verse 13, it says, But when the Jews of Thessalonica had knowledge that the word of God was preached to Paul at Berea, they came thither also and stirred up the people. So the Jews there were great opposition to Paul, both in Berea and also in Thessalonica, but also in Corinth, Acts chapter 18, verse 12. Acts 18, 12. And when Gallio was deputy of Achaia, the Jews made insurrection with one accord against Paul and brought him to the judgment seat. Uh, that was in Corinth. All right, now back in 2 Thessalonians <clears throat> chapter 3, Paul says that these opponents were unreasonable. They were unreasonable men. The Greek word atopos. Robertson's word pictures from Esword says this about Atopos. Originally in the old Greek, Atopos, a private, a privative, and topos is out of place, odd, becoming, perverse, outrageous, both of things and persons. So these opponents were also wicked, paneros. Thayer defines Poneros as bringing toils, annoyances, perils of a time full of peril to Christian faith and steadfastness, causing pain and trouble. These people are evil in their opposition to that which is good. I want to quote Brother Mike Vestal again in the 1988 Dayton Lectureship book. This is from page 276. Quote, there are those evil people who may be content to perish in their own corruption, but the kind of individual here is not content unless he is corrupting others as well, drawing them into the same destruction as himself, unquote. Solomon mentions this type of person as well in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 16. Proverbs 4, 16. For they sleep not except they have done mischief, and their sleep is taken away unless they cause some to fall. And that's these kind of unreasonable and wicked people that we're seeing there in Thessalonica. Their hostility toward the gospel is because, as Paul says there, all have not faith. Not everyone that hears the gospel obeys it. Many will staunchly oppose it, as we have seen. People oppose the gospel because of the requirements it places on their lives. In Romans 10, 16, Romans 10, 16, Paul wrote, But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah said, Lord, who hath believed our report? Now, going back to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 3, we're going to see the contrast between those who do not have faith and the Lord who is faithful. 2 Thessalonians 3.3 3. But the Lord is faithful, who shall establish you and keep you from evil. You know, it's a depressing fact that most people are unfaithful. 
But on the other hand, it is a cheering fact, a cheering truth that the Lord is faithful and will always be faithful. You know, Paul mentions the faithfulness of God several times in his writings. 1 Corinthians 1.9 is an example. 1 Corinthians 1.9, God is faithful by whom you were called under the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Another example is 1 Thessalonians 5.24. 1 Thessalonians 5.24, Faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it. And he says that God will establish the faithful. The word established from the Greek word sterizo. Thayer's definition of sterizo. To make stable, place firmly, set fast, fix, to strengthen, make firm. Going back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 2. 1 Thessalonians 3, 2. He said, And sent Timotheus, our brother and minister of God, and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ, to, notice, establish you, and to comfort you concerning your faith. So God will establish the Thessalonians with, you know, Timothy's the one that was sent there to help them as well. And then he says God will guard the faithful. That's from the, uh, the word keep here, that he will keep them there in this. God will keep you from evil. That's the word that we would normally translate as guard. It's the Greek word philoso. Thayer says philoso means to guard a person or thing that he may remain safe. I want to quote Brother Mike Vestal again from the 1988 Denton Lectureship book, now from page 278, and I quote, Establish has to do with inward stability and strength, while guard includes protection from outward assault. So there's both things going on here. That's an unquote there. Anyway, God has special providence concerning his people. Philippians 4.19 as an example. Philippians 4.19. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Jesus Christ. Also in 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 12. 1 Peter 3.12. For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous and his ears are open unto their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. And we always need to remember, though, that God's providence does not take away our freedom of choice. You know, God's providence is going to be at work, but that doesn't mean we're going to make the right choice whenever it comes to things we do in this life. Because Satan is going to do everything in his power to hinder the work of the gospel and cause people to be lost. An example, 1 Thessalonians 2.18. 1 Thessalonians 2.18. He says, wherefore we would have come unto you, even I, Paul, once and again, but Satan hindered us. So Satan's going to try to hinder the work that we're trying to do for God because he is still, as 1 Peter 5, 8 says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. He did that in Job's time. We know that from Job 1 and 2, and he's doing it in our time as well. Now, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 4, we have Paul's expression of confidence for them. 2 Thessalonians 3, 4. 
And we have confidence in the Lord touching you that ye both do and will do the things which we command you. So Paul has expressed his confidence in the Lord. Now he expresses his confidence in the readers. Their confidence was not in men. It was in the Lord. Paul's confidence in the Thessalonians was that they were doing and would continue to do the commands of the Lord. Some of those commands coming up shortly in this epistle are going to be hard commands to follow. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 5, Paul mentions here love and patience. 2 Thessalonians 3, 5. And the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the patient waiting for Christ. All right, Paul's request was that the Lord direct the Thessalonians. Catathano. That word means, according to Thayer, to make straight, guide, direct, of the removal of the hindrances to coming to one. So there's hindrances that God, Paul is requesting would be removed. Now, direct them unto the love of God. Now, that is either into God's love for us or into our love for God, or it could be both. Could be both there. Raymond Kelsey, there in his work on First and Second Thessalonians on page 173 states, and I quote, Thus the prayer is that the Lord will direct the hearts of the readers into a deeper realization of the love God has for them, which will in turn produce a deeper love for God in their own hearts, unquote. So direct them into the patient waiting for Christ. Again, a couple of meanings or maybe both. Either our patiently waiting for Christ's second coming or the patience that Christ brings into our hearts while we're living in this life waiting for his second coming or it may be both. And the Thessalonians would need both love and patience to obey the commands that are to come next. Because now, Paul is going to be discussing the treatment of disorderly members. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 6 through 15. <clears throat> In verse 6 of 2 Thessalonians 3, we have the command to withdraw. 2 Thessalonians 3, 6. Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye withdraw yourselves from every brother that walketh disorderly and not after the tradition which he received of us. The word now comes from the Greek word de, and Thayer says that means but, moreover, and etc. So in other words, we're, 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 changing, think, we're changing topics here. The, the word command comes from the Greek word Paragello, which means to command, order, or charge. Robertson's word, Pictures on Esword, says this of that word. Paul puts into practice the confidence expressed on their obedience to his commands. And the command is by the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ. All that we do is to be by the authority of Jesus Christ, Colossians 3.17. And whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. The command is to withdraw yourselves. The Greek word stello. Thayer's second definition of stello is this. 
to remove oneself, withdraw oneself to depart, to abstain from familiar intercourse with. And that word there, intercourse, just talks about common conversation and things such as that. In 1 Thessalonians, Paul appealed to the congregation to admonish those who were idle. Back in 1 Thessalonians 5.14, 1 Thessalonians 5.14, he says, Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, be patient toward all men. Well, apparently that problem of idleness has persisted and it must be dealt with more severely now. In 2 Thessalonians 3.11, we find the instructions to do that. 2 Thessalonians 3.11, For we hear that there are some which walk among you disorderly, working not at all, but are busybodies. And Paul is telling the Thessalonians that they are to withdraw from those who are living their lives in a disorderly manner, not obeying God's word. The word disorderly there comes from a Greek word, atikos. Robertson's word pictures in Esword gives this definition of that word. Military term out of ranks. In other words, this is again speaking about soldiers. They're out there marching and you've got this one fellow out there just wandering around everywhere. He's out of rank. Brother Tom Waycaster in the 1988 Dent Lectures book, and this is from page 287, made this statement, and I quote, The sad fact is many of those ungodly, perverted, lazy, indifferent members of that first century church find their counterparts in the 20th century man. There, we, people don't change, do they? But anyway, those that are disorderly are not following the teaching of God's word. Now in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 7 through 9, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 7 through 9, we have the example set forth by Paul, Timothy, and Silas while they were still in Thessalonica. Okay, let's go first of all, 2 Thessalonians 3, 7. He says, they did not act disorderly. 2 Thessalonians 3, 7. For yourselves know how you ought to follow us, for we behave not ourselves disorderly among you. In other words, they stayed in rank. They didn't get out of rank. They were busy working for God, and they were also busy working to support themselves as they were busy working for God. They did not rely on the church in Thessalonica to support them. 2 Thessalonians 3.8 mentions that. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 8. Neither did we eat any man's bread for naught, but wrought with labor and travail night and day, that we might not be chargeable to any of you. Uh, Raymond Kelsey on his, in his book there on page 175 makes this statement, and I quote him. The expression, eat bread, was evidently a Semitism 
meaning to obtain a living. Cross-reference Genesis 3.19, Amos 7.12. All right, let's look at those two verses here and see what the expression or how the expression eat bread was used there. Let's go to Genesis 3.19. In the penalty that God gave to Adam there after he had eaten of the fruit that was forbidden, he said, In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread. Till thou return unto the ground, for out of it wast thou taken, for dust thou art, and in the dust shalt thou return. And then we look in Amos chapter 7, verse 12. Amos chapter 7, verse 12. Also Amaziah said unto Amos, O thou seer, go flee thee away into the land of Judah and there eat bread and prophesy there. So eating bread the way they were making their living. Now he mentions there that Paul, Timothy, and Silas paid for what they received and they worked so they would have the money to buy the things that were necessary. Again, you look at chapter 3, verse 7. For yourselves know how you ought to follow us. For we behave not ourselves disorderly among you. All right, and then also you look at verse 8. Neither did we eat any man's bread for naught. But this phrase, wrought with labor and travail night and day, that we might not be chargeable to any of you. The word labor there is from the Greek word kapos, and Thayer's third definition is this. Intense labor united with trouble and toil. And then the word travail, makthos, again Thayer's first definition here, a hard and difficult labor. Toil, travail, hardship, distress. So Paul, Timothy, and Silas, they were working hard for the Lord and working hard to support themselves. Uh, Kelsey on page 175 of his book states, and I quote, the motive for their working that we might not burden any of you was a rebuke to those who were living at the expense of others, unquote. So Paul, Timothy, and Silas wanted to be an example to the Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 9. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 9. He says, not because we have not power, but to make ourselves an example unto you to follow us. <clears throat> All right, Paul, Timothy, and Silas had the right to accept and to expect support from the Thessalonians, but they wanted to show that their motives were pure and they wanted to be an example to those who were idle. Uh, Paul did not accept support from some congregations and he, or he did accept support from some congregations and refused support from others. So why did he not do it here? Were the, they were not just there to make money off the brethren. They wanted to show again the purity of their motives. But we look in Philippians 4.16, we find that Paul did accept support from the Philippian church. 
it says, For even in Thessalonica you sent once and again unto my necessity, but also in the city of Corinth, Paul did not accept support from the Corinthian church. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 11 and 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 11 and 12. If we have sown unto you spiritual things, is it a great thing if we reap your carnal things? If others be partaker of this power over you, are we not rather, or not we rather? Nevertheless, we have not used this power, but suffer all things lest we should hinder the gospel of Christ. So they did not accept support there from uh, the church in Thessalonica either. So we need to make sure that whenever we look at the things that Paul was doing there, that he was not accepting those things from the church in Thessalonica, but he was accepting those things from Philippi. And Paul there says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 10, that those who are willing to work should go hungry. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 10. For even when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if any would not work, neither should he eat. The Gospel Advocate Commentary on page 110 states this, and I quote, There was and is no obligation resting on a Christian or a church to help or feed an idle, lazy sponge who is able to work. Unquote. Now, we are to help the helpless, but Paul was unwilling there to be a burden on others when he was able to help himself. There are those out there who just sponge off of others, and we're not to help them. They get hungry enough, they'll get to work. But someone who is not able to work, someone who is un unable to do that, we are to help. Again, Brother Tom Waycaster in the 1988 Denton Lectureship book, page 289, and I quote, The law here laid down by the inspired writer extends to all who are able to work and binds upon us the obligation not to help those who will not labor, unquote. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 11, there were some who were not working at all there in Thessalonica. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 11. For we hear that there are some which walk among you disorderly, not working at all, but are busybodies. This verse shows why there was so much emphasis on the subject of this work, because there were those who were not working at all. Kelsey, on page 177 of his book, wrote this, and I quote, There seems to be a play on words in the Greek, which transposed into English would be something like, working at nothing but working all around. They are busy at the task of creating disturbances and at the same time are living at the expense of those among whom they seek to create the disturbance, unquote. So they're busy at busybodying. They're not busy at working. 
Now, what's a busybody? The word busybodies here comes from the Greek word periergazomai. Thayer's definition of that word is this, to bustle about uselessly, to busy oneself about trifling, needless, useless matters, used apparently of a person officiously inquisitive about others' affairs, unquote there. Robertson's word pictures from Esword says this about busybodies, and I quote, these theological deadbeats were too pious to work, but perfectly willing to eat at the hands of their neighbors while they piddled and frittered away the time in idleness, unquote. And then Adam Clark, I want to quote him on this too, and this is from Esword, quote, doing everything they should not do, impertinent meddlers with other people's business, prying into other people's circumstances and domestic affairs, magnifying or minifying, mistaking or underrating everything, newsmongers and telltales and abominable race, the curse of every neighborhood where they live and a pest to society, unquote. He puts it rather plain, doesn't he, there? Well, Brother Avon Malone, from notes that I took in the class whenever I was there uh, learning under him at Brown Trail, stated this, and I quote him, if we do not keep a body busy, we will become a busy body, unquote. Well, 2 Thessalonians 3.12, Paul says, they've got to get to work. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 12. Now then that are such, we command and exhort by our Lord Jesus Christ that with quietness they work and eat their own bread. All right, the same word for command here is the one that was used earlier to command, order, or charge. We have the same authority. That is our Lord Jesus Christ. And now he says exhort, parakaleo. Thayer's second definition of that Greek word is exhorting and comforting and encouraging. Well, the command and exhortation is that they with quietness work and eat their own food. Quietness there from the Greek word asukia, and Thayer says that word means the description of a life of one who stays at home doing his own work and does not officiously meddle with the affairs of others. Uh, the Gospel Advocate Commentary on page three, uh, 112 states this, and I quote, Honesty, industry, attention to one's own business, freedom from tattling and mischief-making are cardinal and essential virtues in the religion of Jesus Christ, unquote. So get to work, in other words. And then Paul admonishes or encourages there the Thessalonians in 2 Thessalonians 3.13, do not be weary in well-doing. 2 Thessalonians 3.13, but ye brethren, be not weary in well-doing, 
In other words, he's telling them, don't, don't allow those who are taking advantage of you to hinder you from helping those who are in need. There are those who are in need. They do need help. And don't be faint-hearted in doing that just because you've got these out there who are sponging off of others. Now, he says, don't be weary in well-doing. The word weary there means, according to Vincent's word studies, and as ekakeo, means to be faint or lose heart. Kelsey, on page 178 of his book, says, they are never to let opposition from without or disorderly conduct on the part of some of their members cause them to lose heart in doing the honorable thing, unquote. So again, sometimes you listen to things and uh, people will make you hard-hearted. I know whenever I was preaching at the congregation in Blue Springs, I got a phone call one day from a young man who was wanting some help with his rent. And I uh, just asked him, you know, are you doing anything now, looking for a job or whatever, so that you'll be able to do it next month, so that this is not a continual thing. And he said, no, no, I'm not looking for anything. And then he got off the phone. Well, momentarily, I had another phone call from the same number, and I lifted the phone up to my ear, and before I heard, or before I said anything, I heard a woman's voice saying, let me show you how this is done. Right then I knew that he was going to sponge off of others. And that makes you hard-hearted. But there are those who need help. And we need to verify that they need help. And if they need help, give them the help that they need. Well, what do we do if they refuse to obey the command to get to work. 2 Thessalonians 3.14. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 14. And if any man obey not our word by this epistle, note that man and have no company with him that he may be ashamed. So if they refuse to obey, note that man. The Greek word semeao. Thayer says that word means to mark, to note, distinguish by marking. Robertson's word picture says put a tag on that man. In other words, you've got to name them. You've got to name them. So many times I've heard preachers in the past say something about a, a preacher that was teaching error, but I'm not going to mention any names. I'm not going to mention any names. Well, what if I know this individual, I don't know he's taught wrong, and I invite that individual through the authority of the eldership or the men of the congregation or whatever to have a hold a gospel meeting and he teaches error there, I could have known and not have invited. I could have been forewarned about this individual. But people don't want to name names. Why? I don't know. Because right here, Paul says, mark them. If they're not going to obey our commands, you mark them. 
over in the book of Romans, chapter 16, verses 17 and 18. Romans 16, 17 and 18, he says, Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned and avoid them. So not only mark the ones who are not working and such as that, that are walking disorderly, mark those that are not teaching the doctrine of Christ. They're contrary to the doctrine of Christ. And he says in Romans chapter 16, verse 18, for they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly. And by good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple or the innocent. If I don't name someone who is teaching error, I am allowing that individual to deceive the innocent. We can't have that, brethren. The Lord will not have that. All right. If they refuse to obey... It says there in 2 Thessalonians 3.14, have no company with him. That is a Greek word that's about a mile and a half long. I'll see if I can pronounce it. Sunamignomai. Anyway, Strong's gives the definition of that word to mix up together. That is figuratively associate with associate with a common association with someone there. Kelsey on page 187 of his book says this, and I quote, intimate association with such members would imply approval of their manner of life and would encourage them to continue in it. Paul intends that the faithful members treat them in such a way as to show their disapproval of such conduct and to show that they do not regard them as faithful Christians, unquote. Well, they're not faithful Christians if they're opposing or not doing the things that is commanded. And then Paul says, this is done that he may be ashamed. He may be ashamed of their behavior and trepo. And then Robertson's word picture says of that word ashamed there, that's translated in trepo, to turn on middle to turn on oneself or to put to shame. Passive to be made ashamed. The idea is to have one's thoughts turned in on oneself, unquote turn their thoughts in on themselves. Make them feel ashamed of the actions that they are doing. Why? Why do we do those things? Because of love. Because of love. In 2 Thessalonians 3.15, Paul says, remember, they're still a brother and not an enemy. 2 Thessalonians 3.15 Yet count him not as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. Admonish him as a brother. They're to warn with that individual, warn that individual. They're to plead with that individual. Those who are unfaithful, plead with them to repent. Don't treat them in a harsh and 
hypercritical manner or hypocritical manner because we want to show them through our love for them that we care and want them to repent so that they can have that eternal home in heaven. You know, another example of that is over in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, you have this individual who is committing fornication. And down in verse 9 and following, he says, I wrote unto you in an epistle not to company with fornicators, yet not altogether with the fornicators of this world or with the covetous or extortioners or with idolaters, for then you must needs go out of the world. Now verse 11, but now I have written unto you not to keep company if any man that is called a brother be a fornicator or covetous or an idolater or a railer or a drunkard or an extortioner with such a one know not to eat. Verse 12, for what have I do or for what have I to do to judge them also that are without? Do not ye judge them that are within? But them that are without God judgeth. Therefore put away from among yourselves that wicked person. That individual was to be withdrawn from. And there was someone's going to say, Oh, judge not that you be not judged. That's what Jesus said. Well, no. Paul says right here, do ye not judge them that are within? And didn't Jesus also say, judge righteous judgment? Well, what about that individual there in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 that was to be withdrawn from? You go over to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. And you find that apparently the Corinthians had done what Paul had asked them to do. They went to that individual. They warned him that he was in sin. He refused to repent. They withdrew fellowship from him. Yet they did not treat him as an enemy, but as a brother. They would continue to go to him and encourage him to repent, not having that familiar association with, you know, that we looked at a while ago. And what happened? Chapter 2, verses 6 through 8. Sufficient to a man is the punishment which is inflict or was inflicted of the many. That's how we know they did what Paul wanted them to do. Verse 7, So that contrary wise, you ought rather to forgive him and comfort him, lest perhaps such a one should be swallowed up with overmuch sorrow. Wherefore, I beseech you that you would confirm your love toward him. Confirm what? Your love. They loved him when they talked to him, tried to get him to repent. They loved him whenever they withdrew fellowship from him. They loved him when they continued to go to him and encourage him to repent. Now he says, confirm your love to him, forgiving, bring him back. And that's what they would have done. And that's what Paul is saying here. Don't count him as an enemy. You still love him. He's still a brother. Admonishing him, though, Put in mind, warn him that he needs to be doing what God's will says, but don't treat him in a bad manner. Again, show them our love that we care and want them to repent so that they can have an eternal home in heaven. You know, Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, Galatians 6, 1 tells us, Brethren, if any man be overtaken in a fault, 
Ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. So there's a couple of things there. Restore, you look up the Greek word there, it means to repair or adjust. This individual needs repairing because they've gone away from God. But do it in a spirit of meekness. Do it in the right way, speaking the truth in love. Now, in the conclusion here of Paul's letter is found in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 16 through 18. First of all, in verse 16 of 2 Thessalonians 3, Paul says, Have peace, have peace. Now the Lord of peace himself give you peace always by all means. The Lord be with you all. You know, from what he had just discussed, there's going to be hard times. But have peace among yourselves. Peace within yourselves. And peace with God. You can have all three of these. And he mentions there that the Lord be with you all. He is always with us. Matthew chapter 28, verse 20. Matthew chapter 28, verse 20. Jesus said, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. And that word translated always in the present tense. So he is always present with us. And in 2 Thessalonians 3.17, Paul says that he wrote the salutation with his own hand. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 17. The salutation of Paul with mine own hand, which is the token in every epistle, so I write. Kelsey on page 182 of his book said, It seems that the writing up to this point had been done by a scribe. Now Paul takes the pen in his own hand and writes the closing words, unquote. And then we see Paul's prayer for the Thessalonians in 2 Thessalonians 3.18. 2 Thessalonians 3.18. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Adam Clark said this in, on his work there in Esword, and I quote, The favor, blessing, and influence of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Be your constant companion. May you ever feel his presence and enjoy his benediction. Unquote. Paul loved the Thessalonians very dearly. And even though some of them were to be reprimanded, he wanted all of them to enjoy the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Some would have to repent to do that. But Paul hoped they would make their lives right so they could enjoy God's grace. You know, the word amen there comes, it's kind of funny because the Hebrew word is A-M-E-N. The Greek word is A-M-E-N. And the English word is A-M-E-N. The Greek word is uh, pronounced amen. Strong says it means this, properly firm, that is figuratively trustworthy, adverbally, surely, often as interjection, so 
be it. You know, this conclusion or concludes our studies in the book of Second Thessalonians. And I want to end the lesson here with a quotation from Brother Tom Waycaster in the 1988 Denton Lectureship book. He said, and I quote, May God give us the courage to follow his will in all things and in all circumstances. And may we determine that we will not walk disorderly ourselves, but be an example to them that believe in word, in manner of life, in love, in faith, in purity. Again, this is Don Boyd with the Moody Church of Christ. I want to thank you for being with us today and invite you to come with us, uh, worship with us if you're ever in the Moody, Missouri area. We're in South Missouri, south of West Plains, Missouri. Our building is located on the corner there in Moody on Highway E. Uh, there's really one corner there. You'll look and see our building there. It's on the west side of the road. On Sunday morning, we meet at 10 o'clock for Bible classes for all ages, and then at 11 o'clock for worship. Sunday evening, we meet at 6 o'clock for worship services, and then on Wednesday night at 6 o'clock as well for Bible classes for all ages. Well, thank you for being with us today, and we look forward to being with you next time. When you're in Moody, Missouri, you're invited to visit the Moody Church of Christ, located on Highway E in Moody, Missouri. The congregation there meets on Sunday morning at 10 a.m. for Bible class, 11 a.m. for worship, and then again at 6 p.m. for Sunday evening worship. They also meet at 6 p.m. on Wednesday night for Bible study. We thank you for tuning in today. We hope you enjoyed this program. You can find out more about Bible Media by visiting us at BibleWayMedia.org. You can also find us on several uh, social media platforms now. You can find us not only on Facebook, but you also can find us on Tumblr. You can also find us on the Twitter alternative known as Telegram, and on the Facebook alternative known as MeWe. We hope you enjoyed this program. We hope you will share with others. And as always, we thank you for listening.